Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, uh, though we are missing Matt Till, he is out and away with his family. Uh, we are with Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, an associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and we are very, very, very happily joined by one Keelan Cook. Keelan is a guest of or has been a guest of ours already. Uh, he is a strategist, a missiologist, and the associate director at the Union Baptist Association here in Houston, and my good friend. So, Keelan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. It's a real pleasure to be here. I don't think I've ever called our podcast a show, but I just did. Oh, so it's no. Been, it's 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 now live for all to hear. So, uh, we are in the middle of. A, a series of podcasts and uh, presentations all around raising resilient children. Now, I don't think, scratch that, that's sarcasm. I know that we are not the first people to talk about raising resilient children. We don't think anybody who's discussed this matter previously hasn't really scratched it like we think they should have. But what we are seeing is such a need to help parents today who are kind of asking these questions as all parents are, am I doing this right? How do I actually have my kids uh, raised in the Lord and follow hard after him? And so, mm -hmm. so Michael, um, can you give some more color to this and then fill us in on why we even have the wonderful Keelan Cook with us? Yeah, well, well, I'm grateful, Keelan, that you're here joining us. And I, you know, this is just such an important topic. We're realizing, and data is uh, driving why uh, we're so motivated to talk about raising resilient children. But we're realizing that over the next uh, 30 years or so, uh, the predictions are 45 million young people are going to walk away from the faith of their families. And that's tragic to think about. That's something like 1.4 million uh, young people every year leaving uh, their faith. And, uh, and so we felt like that we wanted to come on and um, talk about this topic because it, it very much fits with the ephesiology. I mean, you think of uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and Paul's admonition to fathers to raise their children um, and uh, in the Lord. And we want to do that. We want to be faithful parents, and we want to be a resource to other parents. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited that we can talk about this topic. Keelan, you wrote a blog. Now it's been a little bit more than a year ago that just captured my attention. It, it wasn't something that you typically see, and, and it's certainly not something that a lot of parents talk about. But you made the uh, uh, the astounding um, or raised the astounding question of do I want my children to be missionaries? And so, Keelan, tell us about that. What what were you thinking? Yeah, Keelan, what were you thinking? <laughs> sure. You, you want to send your kids away? Yeah, it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? 
Uh, to give a little background here, so I have served overseas as a missionary myself. Um, my wife also has a deep love for the nations. She was in seminary when we met, and she was training to go be a missionary overseas. So that's some background on our family that I think is pertinent here. Uh, but really what happened in that particular article, um, so we, we wrote it about a year back. Um, we had six months prior to that, had our first daughter. She's about 18 months old now. Uh, and we just here a few weeks ago had our, our second child, uh, a son. So we yeah. have a girl, a little boy now. So we're reeling from that one. Still really excited about it. But that's kind of my little and family. They're both, they're both adorable. So you all have done just a bang up job so far in making beautiful children. So well done. I know that was within your control. So good yeah, work. Yeah, right. I think so too, though, Andrew. So I'm in complete agreement with you here. Um, needless to say, though, so pandemic happens last year about this time, and we're holed up in the house, right? So I'm using this as an opportunity to maybe catch up on some reading that I've been wanting to do. And, and uh, here I am, a brand new parent. Uh, and mm. in the process of that, one of the little books that I had picked up that I wanted to read was one by Don Whitney, just called Family Worship. Uh, it's a real simple little text. It's more of a how-to than it is anything else. Uh, about the importance of if you're a family uh, and you're wanting to raise your family in the Lord, uh, uh, historical and important practice is this idea of having a family worship time. Uh, and so I'll start reading through this. And in the book, he actually quotes John Patton. Now, John Patton was a missionary from a long time back mm -hmm. to the South Pacific. Um, he uh, wrote his own autobiography and he pulls a quote out of that autobiography that really got my wife and I thinking as we were reading this book. And uh, I think it would probably just make sense for me to read that quote because it served as the genesis for the article. And uh, I think it's a really good talking point for us as well. So the quote from the patent book is this. How much my father's prayers at this time, he's speaking of their family worship time, at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand when on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service mm -hmm. of Jesus and for every personal and domestic need. We all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior, and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. As we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light on my father's face and wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that in answer to his prayers, I might be privileged and prepared to carry the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. Wow. Wow. Profound. It's a That's weighty. profound yeah. statement. So reading this book, come across this, and it just sets me back some. And I had to, it raised the question for me. Uh, here we are talking about the importance of family worship, but it caused me to press further. Like when we talk about spiritually forming our kids, you know, we do a whole lot of talk, a whole lot of rhetoric around the importance of making disciples of all nations. And we say, man, it is really important for us to be sending missionaries. And that's still true. It is. Absolutely. Uh, the question that this raised for me, though, is do I, do I want to send my own kids? Right. Wow. And so that that was really the genesis of the article. Yeah. Wow. That is such a cool quote. 
and to think, you know, um, and, and we've, we've talked about this so often, Andrew, that uh, discipleship is more often caught than taught. And here John Patton is observing his father in his prayers. And that, that made a difference in his life. I mean, it impacted him uh, incredibly. What, what a great quote. That quote for me is incredible. And I'm reading it. I'm listening to it almost again, just like we're asking Keelan and Meredith how they've changed all their things. Uh, I'm trying to look back at like, what's the, uh, are the, are the prayers that I pray over my children, are they being caught? Mm. Like, it's not so much a teaching thing, but like, do they hear them? Or is it just that nice thing that I do for them before they go to bed? And uh, it's just, it's almost like that nighttime lullaby. Am I, am I, lo- am I lulling my children to sleep with my prayers? That's really what I'm wondering. Mm. Uh, I don't think so, but I wonder if it has that same impact and I'm stirred to wanting uh, already listening to that. Just like our last podcast and our last few podcasts of me questioning all of my parenting decisions and saying, do I need to change everything <laughs> to mm. actually raise the resilient children in the kingdom that I hope to. Uh, so that's one of the things that it did for us as well, Andrew, to hear Hatton, um, I think well, like witnessing the passion of his father's prayers. So there's two or three things here. There's the content of the father's prayers. There's also the passion of them, right? And the fervency, the urgency, the pouring out his spirit, I think is the way that Patton uh, labeled that moment. Is that the way that I pay, pray in front of my family? Hmm. Um, that's that's one of the big questions there that I think it sent us into as well, Andrew. Okay, can we put a? I have a question that's tangential to that, so let's put a pin in that uh, because I don't want to get too off track. So specifically to answer Michael's question, what have you and Meredith? Because some of this thing, some of these things are things that are observed um, in older children, right? And your two are not so old to do a deep dive into scripture right now. Um, they can't talk. So just for, for framing that up for our listeners, they're very small. So, um, but how are you and Meredith trying to um, lay the breadcrumbs so that you can get to that place now? What are some habits that you guys are putting into place now? Yeah, and I think that's the right way to view it is, is habits. Um, so the, the way that we've conceived of this, just exactly like you said, like our, our kids aren't, uh, dialoguing with us about stuff yet. Nora is now 18. Oh, you're just not understanding them. That's the thing. Well, no, so that's, that's really true. And it has certainly become true with Nora over the last couple of months. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I remember those days, a lot of chatter going on. We had no idea what they were saying and we couldn't communicate intelligently. Fervency fervency and yes. relating words, noises, and thoughts. It's yeah, so yeah. true. Uh, she, man, she tries very hard to communicate with us right now. And <laughs> the thing that's getting increasingly clear is how much she understands of what we're saying already. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think spins into the idea of what we're talking about here. So how Watch are- Watch your swearing. That's what you're saying? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, stop okay. swearing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, how do we though- take advantage of the moment that we have here. How do we set ourselves up for a, a long-term trajectory toward discipleship, right? Uh, discipleship's not an event. Uh, discipleship, I think it's a patterned lifestyle. Uh, Michael, you said earlier that so much of it is caught, uh, not taught. And I think that's true. 
Uh, so what we want to do is we want to create an environment that our children grow up in that is authentic concerning the gospel. And in doing so, uh, we want to do, oh, what's the best way to say this? Um, priority, regularity, and uh, I'll say activity, maybe, kind of is three ways that we want to think about building this environment. We want to put a priority on the gospel. Uh, we want to put some regularity into practices and habits in the house so that our kids, so we have the benefit of them being very small right now. And because of that, we can have some habits already instilled in our home that they're just going to have always grown up knowing those habits. That's just the way a home is to be ran and operated. Uh, and then activity, like we want to create opportunities where they're actively engaged in the kinds of things that would lead them to have a heart for the nations. Um, and so that's really what we're trying to do. What does that look like in practice, though, right? Uh, well, one, I started yeah. by reading that family worship book. Uh, I think that's a big piece of it, right? And uh, Patton himself is referencing back to that time when his family would have that daily moment where their family would get together and do this. Um, so it sounds a little weird, but we decided to go ahead and institute a practice with our children that can't read uh, and they can't talk to us yet. But we've already started trying to have family worship. And uh, for Nora's sake, and now for Ezra's, though, he's, I mean, he's three weeks old. Uh, but for Nora's sake, particularly start him young. Yeah. Right. Uh, we've, we've incorporated. So like the Jesus storybook Bible is a thing that we use with her. It's the best. And yeah, we love it. We love it. And so every night at dinner, we've instituted, uh, this concrete practice in our home where we clean up the table and we stay at the table and we're going to have uh, a moment where we read through the, the story for the night, uh, for Nora as a part of our family worship, uh, time. And it's fascinating. When we started this, she was, I mean, we're probably right at about a year, I think is when we started doing this with the storybook Bible. And in the beginning, it was very hard for her to sit for you more than a page or two of it. But now we've got to a moment where Nora's asking for family worship before the meal is over. She recognizes what we're That's doing. Great. She points to the book on the shelf. She's excited about that that time. And so even if she's not catching everything we're doing in those stories right now, we're demonstrating the, the priority of time in the word together. We're demonstrating the importance of the story. And we're starting to, I hope, develop a love for the contents of the story as she gets mm -hmm. older and starts to understand it just from those earliest moments. And so it's becoming a practice. It's becoming a habit in that way. And so that's one of the things that we're doing. That's pretty great. Michael, you you left Keelan and I, we, we looked at an empty screen and it looked you went to go pilfer a book. So what did you go to find? What are you pouring over that you're just so excited about? Well, no, I did. I went to get my uh, copy of Don Patton's uh, bio autobiography and uh, it, what, something threw it a little bit. This is a really old one. Uh, but uh, that first anyway, edition? I, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. He was uh, a Scottish missionary mm -hmm. in the late 1800s. But um, yeah, I just wanted to see if I could quickly find that. It's been years since I've looked at that. So this has been a great stroll down memory lane uh, of, of thinking through the, the biographies of, of missionaries. Uh, let the readers beware. There's now going to be a blog or two based on John Patton. 
and his life's work and thoughts from yeah, Michael Cooper right. coming soon to a physiology. Yeah. Well, I don't know so much about that as much as, I mean, it reminds me, Keelan, of another blog that you did on the importance of reading missionary biographies. And I, um, I was so impressed by that because I think you're absolutely right. Um, I can remember when during my university years, I made it a point to read uh, one biography a month of a missionary. Brilliant. Practice. And uh, boy, it was, it was just revolutionary uh, for me because it got me thinking that, boy, you know what? There's more than just simply being an architect in this world. Um, I, I could go and serve the Lord in, in other places. And, and biographies do that. They put you in the life of different people and uh, you get it, or at least I did. I could get excited about uh, their lives. But that's kind of what we're talking about here too, in, in a different way. You know, um, some of us grew up in Christian families uh, like our children are doing where we can really uh, make a difference in their lives by talking about missionary things and doing missionary things so that they see uh, parents as an example of, of really what is uh, might even be thought of as a discipline of the Christian life, that uh, we're, we're on God's mission. And we are all, no matter where we are, called to make disciples and how important that is. Okay. But this I have, it, I have yeah. a question that you are touching on. Keelan hit on it earlier. I said, let's put a pin in it. You have just brought it back. So I'm sorry for jumping on your wise words, but I want to hear more wise words from you. So the question for you and Keelan both. Now, contextually, we as leadership are asking right now, how do we continue to cultivate and develop a passion for the Lord at Neartown Church? Um, Keelan, you can, I, I will not betray you with your reaction. So you don't have to say anything out loud uh, for the video viewers you're going to see. Uh, but sometimes at Neartown Church, we have uh, a wonderful, sometimes less than passionate response uh, to what God is doing in our body. And again, please don't mishear that. Like I, I could waste uh, days, weeks talking about how wonderful our people are and the things that God is doing in and through them and how thankful I am for them. But I feel passion is lacking. And we're talking about how do we help develop that passion? Again, not looking down on anybody because they don't have what I think is a good passionate level, but just saying whatever you are, wherever you are, how do we help you grow in your passion for Christ? And so now I'm asking both of you, because Keelan, you've hit on it. Michael, you've hit on it. How do you think we as parents can help develop that lifelong passion for Jesus? Mm. Again, a conversation not around how do we pass on information, but more so how do we pass on that, that love, that excitement, that desire to grow in this faith and this Lord that we love and serve. So whoever wants to take it, go for it first. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm just going to pass it to Keelan because I think our listeners hear from me enough. And I, I sound like a broken record just simply because that passion, I believe, is caught. Mm. And if I'm not demonstrating it in my life, living it out before uh, our children, 
then I, I should have no expectation that uh, they would catch that or that they would in turn live it out. And so I think there's a, there's a, uh, a burden that we as parents bear and we rightly bear because it's given to us by the Lord to train up our children. And, uh, and we need to be wise about how we do that. Keelan. Um, you know, Michael, I don't know that I could have said it better myself. So I'm basically going to regurgitate what you just said. I, uh, I think, <laughs> but now you're going to say it in Texan. So yeah, that's right. I'm gonna, I'll say it in Texan now. So a hundred percent, what you just said, I think is right. How do we instill passion, not just information? Um, that's a baton that is passed. And if you're not holding the baton, you can't pass it. Kind of you can't stop. give what you don't have. Yeah, you can't give what you yourself do not have. And if that is true, there's a couple of questions that spin out of this one, I think, for me, that, that become hooks that we can hang some application on. Uh, one of those is, well, what is my purpose as a Christian parent? Uh, and I think it's more than let's just make sure these kids don't die and become well-adjusted Americans, right? Like, I think it's more than that. Um, That's an understatement. Thanks for that real, that real right? low-key suggestion. <laughs> uh, though, so often, I think that's kind of how we treat parenting, even as, as Christian parents in America, is I want my kids to be well-adjusted members of society. And as Christians, I think the scripture calls us to, to, to more than that for our kids. Mm. Um, it calls well, what, us do you, to, what do you mean by well-adjusted member of society? What, well, what goes I, through your mind when you're saying that? Certainly. I think that's the problem. I, uh, I think that's a substandard understanding. Um, but so, for instance, when I was growing up as a kid in the Bible Belt, um, just that kind of the God and country, like I, I need to fit. I need to fit in my world. And so I want my kid to be a good kid, uh, and, and I want him to fit well into the world around him. I want him to be able to be have a good job, have a good career, be able to take care of his family, do all of the things that culturally and from a, an American worldview, like this is what we're supposed to be and do. I would um, jump in and use Michael's term that he's been writing about recently is that if our children are a part of the American civil religion, <laughs> if we are uh, voting with regularity, and are reliable to support the God and country batons and hold those both strongly and frequently, then that is the highest good. Yeah, I think that's very prevalent in a lot of circles within North American Christianity right now. And I think civil religions a fair, I think it's fair language for this idea. Um, there's, I think, a spectrum there, right? Like you've got some that are full bore into that. You've got some that probably don't realize how much they're into that. And they've just, I don't know, they've coalesced or syncretized uh, their understanding of what it means to be a good Christian with what it means to be a good American. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's somewhat problematic. Um, I think we're called to more than that, though, right? What are we, in fact, called to? Parenting is, at its first spot, discipleship, right? Like, mm -hmm. these are the first disciples that, that God has now entrusted me with taking care of in my family. Um, and that's discipleship in the sense of, like, pre-evangelism all the way through like crossing the line of faith and then becoming a fully formed disciple, right? Uh, so I'm sharing the gospel with my kids in hopes that that uh, they themselves uh, accept the, the true goodness of the gospel and begin to walk in accordance with all that God would have for them uh, and all that is revealed in scripture. Mm -hmm. If that's true and our 
our rhetoric is, uh, particularly as evangelicals, is so like, uh, you know, we're all about making disciples of all the nations. Well, is that not then the highest good that we could have for our children is to be those who are fully, deeply engaged in uh, that mission, that, that commission that we've been given by Christ. Uh, and so that changes your goalposts all of a sudden on what yeah. you want for your kids. Uh, everybody says they want what's best for their kids. But how do you define best is a really important question here, because best for many does not look like uh, going overseas and living where there's no electricity uh, or perhaps in the middle of political turmoil uh, or among a whole Muslim population or something to that effect. Uh, Most people wouldn't describe that as best, but from a biblical perspective, that may absolutely be what's best for my children. Mm -hmm. And so there's that tension and tug between what my culture would tell me to do and what scripture probably tells me to call them toward. Yeah, good, good. I I love that, I, and I think too. I I mean, there's one sense, and I don't want people to uh, uh, be mistaken that we believe that every uh, the parent needs to raise their children to be a, a missionary that. Uh, that leaves the United States and goes someplace, they raise support and, you know, all the traditional things we think about missionary. But at the same time, we have to realize that that making disciples is an essential part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And, and to be a missionary today could look a hundred different ways. Um, I'm thinking here, you know, thinking about the the book of Acts and uh, Paul's ministry and the number of people that he had around him that certainly were engaging in uh, the places that had no contact with Jesus. They had never heard the name. Uh, they, they had no clue about what uh, Christianity was about. And you think about those people, they were business people, they were lawyers, they were politicians. Um, they were, you know, they came from every walk of life. And so it was just who they were. Um, it wasn't a, a, a title that they bore other than being Christ's follower. And the natural outcome of being a Christ follower is to be a maker of disciples wherever they are. It's identity. And I mean, uh, this comes back to that same thing that we keep talking about over and over part of, your identity as a Christ follower, part of your identity as a child of the King is synonymous with missionary. Mm. It is not a special class of religious person. Right. It is not the, the, the kooky ones <laughs> uh, who decided to just abandon all reason and, and travel overseas. Um, Keelan, I really like how you phrased it. It's that what, it's almost again. It's the your two options. Uh, uh, door number one is what we deem as best for ourselves and for our children, and door number two is what the Lord has deemed as best. And oftentimes, door number one actually is pretty narrow. What we deem as best. It's it's uh, an an honorable career with a very nice income in a comfortable neighborhood. Uh, in a comfortable space that's also nearby us as parents so we can come and visit you and the grandchildren frequently. Um, uh, But what the Lord deems as best is wide and varied 
because what is best for Keelan Cook is not, um, I'm sorry, the specifics of what is best will look different for Keelan Cook than they do for Michael, our resident mm-hmm. ephesiologist. Uh, what those things are, it is not cookie cutter missionary you must go to this only to unreached people groups and if you are not a missionary to an unreached people group then you are a subset of missionary you aren't a real christian no like michael's saying like the the lawyers and the doctors and and all of these people in the fields that god has raised them up in he is asking for a primary purpose of a Christ seeker, it's seeking to make God's glory known, seeking to declare to others that God is in the business of making all things new, uniting all in him. That is primary, and that is what we get to do. That seems to be the highest good that we can be about both for ourselves and for our kids. Am I, am I right-sizing that, what you both are saying? I think so. Uh, and I think this the 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 way that we're talking about it right now, I think brings up a, a bundle of points that are really important here, right? So first, uh, I think that what is best sets a course direction for us here, right? Like if I'm going to go after what the Bible says is best, that may have me trying to instill values and instill um, aspirations that I wouldn't be concerned about instilling uh, if whatever our culture says is best is best. Uh, so there's there's kind of a course direction, I think, a fork in the road, so to speak, when you get there. But then there's some variation uh, as a parent that I think we have to navigate. Uh, on the one hand, I so there's an inverse to this question for my wife and I, right? As we talk uh, uh, as we talk about this issue, uh, do do I want my daughter to go be a missionary? I think from a biblical perspective, the answer to that question has to be yes, I do. I want her to go because the Bible compels us to the nations. Mm. Uh, it tells us we, we should go. Uh, we need more missionaries, not less. And so, and by that, I mean, we need more international missionaries, people who are willing yeah. to uproot their lives and go to the unreached. Uh, and so I think the answer has to be yes. However, the inverse to that question is, well, what if we lean in that direction and then the Lord doesn't call her overseas? Am I going to be disappointed by that? And I think the answer to that question has to be No, because what we really want her to do is be right in the center of where God would have her doing the Great Commission. And that may be in some other career here in the States. Uh, It may be in a very different location than I would think uh, than I or my wife would choose, whether that is down the street so that we get to see our grandkids all the time or that's, you know, in Kuala Lumpur or somewhere completely divorced from here and way far over there. I think there's a tension that holds in that one, right? And so what we want to do is we want to instill in our children, I this is me, me thinking here, right? I, we want to instill in our children an understanding and passion for the Great Commission and understanding that God has pressed us all to the nations, uh, but at the same time, a willingness to hear where the Spirit would have us be involved in that mission. Yeah. And, uh, and we want our daughter and our son now, right, to, to be obedient to that, wherever that may lead them. Um, but it, it's, it, it's a both and, isn't it, at, at, yep. at some level? I mean, there's, you know, I think in terms of where our three are, they're all pursuing careers as one as an engineer, one as a journalist, one as a social worker. But with the view that God would use that to catalyze them into international missions, that yes. they wouldn't be the traditional missionary. Uh, because I think they're, you know, we're facing some interesting 
challenges in the context of the United States with the decline of Christianity, that the traditional missionary is probably going to be a little bit different than what we think of. But, but, and so there's that as a possibility for an avenue into missions, Mm -hmm. but there's also the, the possibility of those who might not deploy internationally, but still can have a heart and a passion for missions. You know, you think about Patton's father, who's on his knees praying uh, for the salvation of the lost. Um, And so there's that, that needs to be cultivated into our children, even as a young age, so that even though they might not aspire to go internationally, they can still be passionate about the need to take the gospel to those who haven't heard, whether that's, you know, through the ministry of prayer, uh, financial support of missions as well, and even um, even short-term uh, missions where they could help to come alongside of others that are in the long-term. Well, I was going to jump in earlier, Keelan. I thought you were going to throw an early curveball. Um, and what you said is wanting this for my daughter. And then you said, well, what about the inverse? I thought you were also going to launch back into and making sure that we as parents also don't feel ourselves are now, um, uh, I don't want to say out of the game, like that God wouldn't send us again Mm -hmm. to be international Mm -hmm. missionaries because we get into that very sticky place now of we have children. Those children are actually grandchildren. What do the grandparents think about taking their grandchildren over to insert place without electricity or hostile environment either in turkey or in other places that you know my heart has been pulled towards for so long what are the ramifications of still being on mission and saying i am still so christ focused that i as a parent want to take my family over there to do this yeah, look, Keelan, as reserved as he is, is about to launch out of his seat. I can just Man, see it yeah. on the screen. Yeah, you can. So you're meddling at this point, Andrew. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what I do. As we have established, this is my role on a physiology. I meddle. Um, no, I think that's a wonderful question. And that's the, the way you phrased that. That has been so, I mean, again, if we take the occasioning incident for this whole little dialogue with uh, my wife and I, as we're seeking to see this quote, go, man, how does that make us think about how we raise our kids? And it says, well, we need to be very transparent. One, we need to have a passion for the nations. You can't instill a passion that you don't have. So we, in fact, need to have that passion. Um, two, we need to be transparent and visible about that passion with our children. They need to know it exists. It needs to kind of overflow out of us into them. Three, wait a minute if we really work hard on rekindling this passion and making sure it is there in, in our life, what, what happens if it works? <laughs> and so that's been a, a thing that we've thought through too, is like, if, if I think it's best for my kids to go and I've settled that question in my head, I have to be willing to say it's best for us to uproot and go mm-hmm. too. If that's, that's in fact what the Lord would have us to do at this point is pick ourselves up family and all and go. And so uh, you'll, you'll hear, um, and David Platt will talk about it this way when he talks about putting your blank check on the table, right? Like always leave your, your blank check on the table signed so that the Lord can pick it up and say, you're moving to Nepal. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, and I think that's a probably a pretty helpful way to, to consider it is 
we have to perennially be open to the Lord saying, pick up your tents and move because yeah. it's time. Hmm. Yeah, boy, that's a good word. That's a challenging word for all of us to think about. Are we willing to actually to, to uh, go? Yeah, and I think it's best as, as we're framing it, it is because the Lord is sending us and because he has a plan for us to be a part of what he is already doing, not, please understand, we're not talking about a missionary who is going to go over and save out of out of their work now going to go to this again as the as the quote was earlier read go to this heathen culture and show these heathens who jesus is it is not by our might it is not by our wisdom it is not because we have figured it all out but it is in the service and name and the and the love of our king that we want to go and show what it looks like to be a people of this king and I'm only going to go on the small rant, mainly because I hope to be able to use it for a sermon at some point nearby. So I don't want to step on my own toes, but I, I've been uh, in Deuteronomy um, in the law a lot lately. And I am overwhelmed with the consistency that God, through Moses' writing, continues to tell the Israelites, y'all stiff-necked, you are a broken and a hard of hearing, uh, uh, hard-headed people. And so understand that God's favor to you comes because he really just wants to stay faithful to the covenant that he's made in you. And he wants to raise you up to be seen as others. I want you to follow the law, not because I gave you the law. I want you to follow the law, not just because it's best, but I want you to follow the law so that when people see you, they say this righteous people is righteous because they serve a righteous God. Mm. And that is why the law is given. And that is why God remakes us in our identities. And so when we talk about missionaries going over to other cultures, it is not to bring just information, but to bring life change and to declare the goodness of God because we're your neighbors who love you too. Mm. I mean, that I, I want to at least frame our conversation. So I don't want anybody to kind of immediately have a recoiling effect. Be like, man, it really sounds like they're trying to, say we've got to go we have to go and save those other nations and be willing to cash your blank check there but it's more of a a love and service to our king because again as we've said over and over it's it's his best that we are seeking mm. yeah, um, good good point Keelan, Michael, do you feel that there are any other topics that we should try to to wrangle in to our discussion on raising resilient children, specifically with the focus of missions? Are there is there any door that we haven't kicked down uh, trying to say this is this is critical to our conversation about it? I'm, I'm thinking. I, I, I'm sure there are doors that we haven't approached yet, but. Um... But this has been great, a great discussion on uh, th this topic and such an important topic it is for us as parents to consider really leaving our children in the hands of the Lord. And that's what this is about, uh, entrusting them to the Lord, but being faithful to do the things that the Lord requires of us so that they will, in fact, uh, grow up to be resilient children, faithful to walking in the, the steps of the Lord uh, themselves. Yeah. Um, Andrew, I think if 
like if I could just like one thing I'd like to add to parents, right? Um, don't underestimate how much your concerns influence those of your children. Mm-hmm. So if something weighs heavy on your heart, there's a good chance it's going to weigh heavy on theirs. Mm-hmm. And that's a chair that spins in both directions. You know what I mean? Like that cuts in right. cuts both ways, right? If we, if we are concerned about worried about the right things then we're modeling for our children, what it means to be focused on those, uh, passionate about those. If we are concerned about things that aren't the right things, we give an outsized influence to, to fears, concerns, things that aren't what scriptures would have us be most, you know, most focused on, uh, then, then we're teaching in that direction too. Uh, the situation is best I can see, and this is true of all discipleship, right? It's, it's not, yes. should I teach my children? It's yes. what am I teaching my children? That's really the question here. You're always discipling. Yeah. What are you yeah. discipling them towards? That's exactly right. And, uh, and so I think we just have to be cognizant of that. I think we have to think through that one as parents, because if we're not careful, we wind up filling them with concerns for things that are less, less than what scripture calls us to, because it's what See, we're, we're most focused on ourselves. So when your kiddos are able to repeat this and Michael, I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but there is nothing more humbling when your kids say something out loud, either out of disdain or reaction to something. And you have to stop and you're like, where did you get that? Like, where did that come from? And they're like, oh, well, I heard you talking about, or, or then you realize, I already know the answer to that question before I ask it. Um, when it's small things, like my love for Spider-Man, I love when they love Spidey and Marvel stuff and kind of chuckle when they don't like DC stuff as much. Um, and that's okay. You know, a joking way, I have discipled them in this that the wise way is Spider-Man and Marvel. And <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but th- that has been a joke. But when when my kids look down on something or they make a comment about something, I'm like, that you didn't need to, like you're putting down something and yet you've had no interaction with that. Or, or something that my kids picked up. Oh, it was yesterday, August. Oddly enough, it was Bugs Bunny. I know the root of it, but there is a newer Bugs Bunny cartoon and Bugs Bunny said, namaste as a greeting. It, it was a very new Bugs Bunny. And, uh, and so August said, he said that, I think it's Sunday in Kid City or, or something or in a greeting. And I stopped. I said, where'd you, so where'd you get that? I don't know. Do you know what it means? <laughs> no. So why are you saying it? I don't know. Well, let's have a conversation about repeating things that we don't know what they mean. And then I told him what it meant. And we had a nice, very, very short discussion of if this is what this means, is this Christ honoring? Is this along those lines? Or is this pointing to something else? And so again, it was something that I had okayed them watching. Yeah. Well, there's a good missiological question for us, Keelan, that we'd have to wrestle with, isn't it? Um, the, the rightness or the wrongness of saying namaste. Yeah. You've got, you've got, a, whole, you've got a whole question there. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a tangent worth exploring at some point, probably. Yeah, right. Yeah. I would say right. while I was cooking dinner 
and trying not to burn stuff on the stove, I just went for the quick uh, assault of let's not actually approach or let's uh let's work out the the god in me sees the god in you and what does the imago day have to do with all of this another time another yeah. longer conversation. <laughs> yeah. But I do think your point on what are we discipling our children towards has to be asked. And because uh, which by the way, I love that you said it, Keelan, and it wasn't Michael, because I think actually Michaela said it on our last podcast, is that discipleship is not an event. It is not a one-time thing. It is an all of life. It is an every day. It is an every moment because we are always discipling our kids towards something. Mm-hmm. So what are we placing the highest value stamp on? And what of our own proclivities are we passing on? that we would rather say, you know what? I don't want to pass that on. So how am I dealing with that? How am I bringing that to Christ? How am I being made new in this area so that my kids don't pick that up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or at least it's yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, this has been a great conversation. Keelan, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Love the opportunity. It's been It's been a lot of fun. Okay, so I'm not going to put a timestamp on you because you're still working on all of your doctorate stuff, but at least a subtle plug, at some point in the future, we hope to actually bring Keelan Cook into the Ephesiology Masterclasses and have him bring his wisdom and his brilliance on a specific topic. So Keelan, in 30 seconds, can you at least pitch your very much unformed idea that we do not have a class yet for and we are hoping to work for someday? Uh, yeah. So one of the things that I'm working on right now in my, my current research is uh, like a history of, of missions. And in particular, uh, a lot of my work deals with how we've handled missions here in the States for the last uh, 150, 200 years concerning immigration. Mm-hmm. And I think it's created some pretty interesting um, uh, insight, at least for me. Uh, and there's a whole lot of, when we look at how we've done things in the past, it gives us a, a good framework for considering how we do things today. Uh, and so that's kind of a 30 second plug is how can we be informed by some of how we've approached the Great Commission in the past in such a way that it helps us do so in a healthy way today? Dang. Well, I think I'm already signing up for that class. Uh, So if you are interested either in that topic or whatever else that we have uh, for our Ephesiology masterclasses, please go online, masterclass.ephesiology.com. Check those out, get registered, as well as for the first time, at least I'm ever mentioning on the podcast, we would love for you to be able to support the global training of leaders. If you have a value for this, please go on to our masterclasses website and consider how can I support brothers and sisters in Christ in theological training through what we are offering. There are links on the page with more information. And if there aren't, there will be by the time you listen to this. So for Keelan, thank you so much. For Michael and I, thank you so much for joining us on the Ephesiology Podcast.